daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week. It is Thanksgiving week, of course, in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And there are great developments that you may not have heard about that uh, it's time to pay some attention to. In California, believe it or not, an indication that even for Gavin Newsom, the very ambitious governor of California, some of the homeless expenditures that have been authorized by the state legislature at a time of budget crisis, the uh, idea of $70 billion to buy new homes for the homelessness, the idea of homeless first, it's not working. And that's not just me who's saying that. It's not just sane observers. It's including leading Democrats like Governor Newsom who are taking that position. What is going on there? We'll be speaking to a, a senior director of policy at the Cicero Institute who has written pow powerfully about why simply providing homes for people who are currently living on streets is not an answer to homelessness. We'll be getting to that this hour. We'll also be talking to a Molly Ball of Time Magazine, who has written, uh, she's the national political correspondent, as she has written a powerful piece about what the Democrats' defying history in the midterms means for 2024. And yes, there's more news already, a number, uh, and it's a dozen of them, a dozen uh, uh, leading Republicans uh, appeared together at a, a major Republican meeting in Las Vegas, and they're all presidential candidates, and they're all presidential hopefuls, and with Trump in the race already, he's not alone. Question is, will that hurt Trump? And then we also have this horrific shooting over the weekend, and one that was avoided, uh, which has gotten much less attention because it was avoided, but it was avoided by truly remarkable police work with a number of people, two of them, in fact, who are active Nazis. How do we know they were active Nazis when they were arrested uh, carrying all kinds of weaponry, preparing to hit a series of synagogues in New York City on Saturday? Uh, they were arrested uh, in possession with Nazi armbands. Swastikas! Uh, they uh, uh, now have um, uh, some explaining to do as uh, might occur. Uh, the situation in Colorado Springs, uh, five people dead at a gay nightclub. Uh, they were doing a special Thanksgiving week celebration and they were having a, a gay, uh, actually uh, a, a drag contest and uh, celebration. Uh, tomorrow was supposed to be on Sunday morning, yesterday morning didn't happen because at Club Q uh, there was a terrible shooting involving, yes, the police said, an AR-15 style weapon. And one of the bartenders at Club Q described what happened, uh, killing five, at least 25 in the hospital, seven of them in critical condition. It's a horrible situation. And uh, the description of what it felt like uh, clip four. I was behind the bar working um, when I heard a few loud uh, shots go off. Um, I didn't know what it was at first, but I looked up and I saw the silhouette or shadow of a guy holding a, what looked like a rifle or some sort of long gun. 
and at that point the shots kept going off um, so I, I ducked behind the bar um, and once I was on the ground glass was just flying all around me um, and, and that, at that point I, I really got scared for my life. What was going through your mind? Uh, I definitely did not want to fight this guy uh, for sure that's I'm not really like that um, but um, I was just I wanted to get out of there I, 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 I was scared I was trapped I wanted to get out of that building. Okay, and of course, most people responded in that way, as most people would. There were two individuals, they haven't yet been identified, who responded differently. They uh, attacked the shooter, and uh, one of them uh, struggled with him uh, over his gun, uh, eventually took his gun and, and used it to beat the shooter so that he had to be hospitalized when the police were there. The police were there, by the way, Within three minutes, three minutes of uh, somebody calling 911. So you've got to give credit there. The, um, the individual who did the shooting is 22 years old. He's either 6'3 or 6'6, depending on which source you believe. His name is Anderson Lee Aldrich, and there's a fascinating details about his background, including... Last year, an arrest for trying to blow up his mother with a homemade bomb and then having a police standoff for six hours. Why he wasn't on some kind of more organized watch list, why he was able to get hold of both the Glock revolver that he had and the AR-15 style rifle, how he got hold of them in a state that's supposed to have a uh, red flag laws, and, uh, man, if you read the record of this guy's relationship with his mother and his grandfather, who is a, I hate to say it, Republican politician, a very uh, much part of the MAGA movement politician who lost a race for state assembly. I mean, this is all truly bizarre and horrible to be involved in this murder which hasn't been classified yet, but it certainly gives evidence that it's some kind of hate crime. There's a, uh, a member of the gay LGBTQ community in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where this horror took place, who uh, lamented what happened at uh, Club Q. This is clip seven. This is our only safe space here in the Springs. And so for this to get shot up, like, what are we going to do now? Where are we going to go? Yeah, we can rebuild and, and come together and this, but what about those people that lost their lives for no reason? Like, the 18, other 18 that were injured, I could have been one of them. Like, it's, it means a lot because, again, what are we going to do now? How are we going to feel safe in our, in our city? This was your safe space? Yeah, this was. The only LGBTQIA plus space in the entire city of Colorado Springs. Okay, Colorado Springs, better known as the home of the Air Force Academy, the home of the uh, very powerful and, in my view, positive uh, ministry focus on the family, and uh, known to be one of the conservative refuges in Colorado. But that doesn't mean that there should be any sympathy at all for a stone-cold, um, mentally disturbed 22-year-old uh, killer like this one. And the police chief spoke on the shootings. Clip 5. 
Processing the scene at Club, Club Q, initial evidence and interviews indicate that the suspect entered Club, Club Q and immediately began shooting at people inside as he moved further into the club. While the suspect was inside of the club, at least two heroic people inside the club confronted and fought with the suspect and were able to stop, stop the suspect from continuing to kill and harm others. We owe them a great debt of thanks. As the investigation is still in its early stages, we are not going to identify any of the witnesses inside of the club at this time. The FBI is already on scene and assisting with the investigation. We are also working to identify the victims who have died and notify their families. Okay, uh, the uh, publication Heavy, the news site Heavy, has confirmed that uh, Anderson Aldrich, uh, Anderson Lee Aldrich, the shooter, is the grandson of outgoing California Republican State Assemblyman Randy Vopel. Former mayor of Santee, California, Vopel represents the 71st district in the San Diego area. Uh, there were calls to expel Vopel from the state assembly after he made comments comparing the January 6th, 2021 attack on the Capitol to the Revolutionary War. Aldrich's mother, Laura Vopel, has written posts praising Randy Vopel on Facebook as her father and confirming he is her father. This is Lexington and Concord, said uh, Assemblyman Vopel about uh, the January 6th riots. First shots fired against tyranny. He was defeated in the Republican primary in August. the Michael Medved show uh, one of the things that um, happened uh, involving the grandfather of the mass shooter in Colorado Springs apparently whose um, name is Randy Vopel he had been an assemblyman mayor of Santee California Santee is a nice community in San Diego County uh, he um, uh, wrote in a an, an article on the San Diego Union Tribune three days after January 6th, so it would be January 9th of last year, and he said that tyranny will follow in the aftermath of the Biden swear-in on January 20th. Um, thank God, I don't think we're in exactly that situation. In any event, he lost his seat in the state assembly, uh, now his grandson is being held on five counts of murder. They're trying to determine whether there will be a hate crime uh, charge that is brought here. But but all of this goes to the general sense that we have in the country. It's not just the idea that we have rising crime and more danger with murders and rapes and assaults of every kind. Property destruction. I have stories here in Seattle about people's catalytic con converters being stolen out of their cars which can be a tremendous hassle to uh, get repaired and very expensive and all of that plus of course far worse crimes and those still unsolved totally unsolved stabbings in in uh, university of idaho with four people three women and one man uh being knifed to death. I mean, all of this is, is ugly and it's disgusting and it's horrible. And then there are attempts that are foiled by police. And congratulations to the police officers in New York who are involved with this. 
this is a story that you don't hear as much about. It doesn't get as much attention. Uh, two men arrested just before midnight on Friday night at New York's Penn Station were involved in what authorities said was a developing threat to the Jewish community. They've been charged with multiple felony counts, including criminal possession of a weapon and making a terroristic threat. Authorities seized on an 8-inch military-style knife and uh, an illegally held gun with a 30-round magazine from Christopher Brown, who's uh, 21, and uh, Matthew Marrer, who's 22. They also found uh, Mr. Brown in possession of a swastika arm patch and ski mask. Law enforcement officials with knowledge of the situation said that threats of violence to Jewish community sites, including, quote, shooting up a synagogue, unquote, were recently made in social media posts and uh, that there was a reference to a violent act occurring on Friday. A potential tragedy was averted when they were intercepted by police officers at Penn Station, said Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan District Attorney. Given that online postings indicated an intent to use these weapons at a Manhattan synagogue, police said that Mr. Brown had a history of mental illness. He's 22. He had a history of mental illness. And he had recently expressed an interest in uh, coming to New York to buy a gun. The uh, police also seized a Glock-style pistol, a large-capacity magazine, and 17 9mm bullets in a bag at an apartment building on the Upper West Side at around 11 p.m. on Friday. The two men were observed on video walking into the building about 45 minutes before, according to the police, and Mr. Marr appeared to be carrying the bag. A posting on a Twitter account that Mr. Brown identified as his own indicated on November 12th, big moves being made on Friday. And on Thursday, November 17th, the uh, same account uh, posted a gunning, uh, gonna ask a priest if I should become a husband or shoot up a synagogue and die. By uh, Friday, November 18th, Mr. Brown posted, this time I'm really going to do it. Apparently, they were planning to go to St. Patrick's Cathedral and to try to get a, a priest to bless them on their errand to go shoot up a synagogue. On Saturday, Mr. Brown told the police that he and Mr. Morer had first gone to St. Patrick's Cathedral to, quote, get the blessings before being driven to Pennsylvania by a friend of Mr. Morer to buy a gun because those guns that they wanted to buy were illegal in New York. Uh, I cash app paid Matt 650 for the gun, Mr. Brown told officers. However, I changed my mind because I was nervous about the police and didn't want the gun anymore, but Matt bought it anyway. At that point, the men drove back to Manhattan, he said. Mr. Brown also told authorities that he operated a white supremacist Twitter group and that Mr. Marr was one of his many followers. Uh, both men were arraigned on Sunday and Mr. Marr was being detained at the Eric M. Taylor Center on Rikers Island. Details on where Mr. Brown was being held weren't available on the city's Department of Correction website as of Sunday afternoon. Okay, obviously good work by wide awake uh, police authorities. This is uh, what Mayor Adams 
uh, Eric Adams himself, a former lieutenant in the New York City police, had to say about the police work and the arrest of uh, uh, these these people. He, this was at a press conference with leaders of the Jewish community. Listen. The suspects were apprehended before they could act on the alleged plan to murder members of the Jewish community in our city. Uh, this was not an idle threat. This was a real threat. Uh, after arresting the suspects, law enforcement officers recovered a Glock semi-automatic firearm, a ghost gun with an extended 30-round magazine and laser sights, a large hunting knife, a black ski mask, and a Nazi armband. A Nazi armband in New York City in 2022. Think about that for a moment. It is worth thinking about, maybe for more than a moment. Uh, there's another piece... And it's fascinating, and it's a long piece. I can't share it all with you. But it's a profile of the suspect in the Pelosi attack, the attack on Paul Pelosi, where he was knocked unconscious, fractured skull, uh, slammed by a hammer by an assailant who had broken into the house. By the way, for people who believe, I was actually in a conversation with someone in synagogue who actually had believed, oh, yeah, this was Paul Pelosi's boyfriend. There, there is no evidence at all that Paul Pelosi had any element like that in his life at all. Been married 59 years to Nancy Pelosi. There's no evidence at all that he knew this guy. And uh, the um, bitter over the end of a long relationship, estranged from his children, and uh, working carpentry jobs to keep a roof over his head after a time living on the streets... Uh, David DePap uh, retreated into isolation, spending hours each day at the uh, online worlds of gaming and radical chat rooms. Uh, that's the uh, portrait that they provide. Another homeless guy. So what do you do about homelessness? Well, you don't do what Governor Newsom and the California legislature is trying to do. We'll talk about it coming up. Across America, this is the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, for those of you who care passionately, I want to make clear that the United States soccer team is still leading in the 73rd minute. Uh, no, this is for real, of a World Cup game in uh, Gutter. Uh, and um, uh, again, no one knows for sure. This old New York Times piece about it. no one knows for how to pronounce it. But we are ahead one nil in the seventy third minute against the uh, mighty team from Wales. Wales has a population of three million, uh, which is a one hundredth of the United States. So let us help that the uh, red, white, and blue uh, prevail in international soccer. Meanwhile, on an even more serious front, there was a powerful piece of uh, clear thinking and common sense that appeared in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend about Housing First, which is a uh, favorite, new favorite for a lot of left-leaning experts. 
a, as a means of dealing with homelessness. And the co-author of uh, this piece is Judge Glock. Judge is not a title, that's his name who is the Senior Director of Policy and Research at the Cicero Institute, formerly a visiting professor in the Department of Economics at West Virginia University, and his Ph.D. is in history with a focus on economic history from Rutgers. Uh, Judge, uh, Gavin Newsom actually took a stand right before the election that you applaud. What did the governor of California do right? Well, as you, you noted, the timing wasn't a coincidence. Right before the election, uh, he rejected the homelessness plans of just about every city and county in the state, noting correctly that they would only reduce homelessness over the next few years by about 2%. And at a time when California leads the nation in homelessness, when in fact half of all the unsheltered homeless, as they're known, the homeless actually out on the streets and in parks, lived just in the state of California, uh, he realized that was unacceptable. Now, of course, we also noted that we we doubted somewhat he was willing to actually take the steps uh, to reduce that number and do the things that would be necessary to get homelessness under control in California. Well, the newly elected mayor of Los Angeles, uh, Karen Bass, former U.S. congressman, uh, she has called for a gigantic program to um, um, build 7,000 units uh, at, at tremendous cost, and she is following the idea of homeless, of housing first, that uh, basically what the homeless need basically is a home, and so it's government's job to provide that for them. What's wrong with that idea? Well, yeah, I, ironically, Los Angeles, in a sense, have already tried this approach. Back in 2016, the voters there uh, approved this proposition, HHH, which promised to spend over a billion dollars uh, to build housing for the homeless. And as you mentioned, it seems like a logical way to solve the issue. If you are homeless, by definition, your prob problem is the lack of a house. Uh, the problem with this, the solution, though, this housing first idea that's called is that one, it ignores that usually for, for the long-term chronically homeless and the homeless that are actually out on the streets, uh, not so much the homeless that are in and out of shelters for a short period or families that need a little help, uh, but the, the chronically homeless that this housing is aimed at, they usually have overwhelming issues with mental health and with drug or alcohol addiction. And one, giving these people free, basically free houses is not going to improve their condition, and the research is pretty clear on that. Uh, and two... The if you start offering people free or almost free housing, it's not surprising there's an almost unlimited demand for it. Uh, places like San Francisco have, in fact, already built, built well over 7,000 of these uh, what's known as permanent supportive housing units for the homeless, uh, which was enough to house every single homeless person in the city of San Francisco when they started. But obviously the problem has only gotten worse. When you start offering free houses to, to quote-unquote, solve homelessness, uh, it becomes a bottomless well pretty quickly, and you can never meet the demand for these free houses. Well, I think that what you've put forward is an extremely sensible approach, which is, uh, sure, help with housing, but it has to be conditional. Explain. Yeah, so, you know, this is actually, a, a, as you mentioned, kind of a sensible and commonsensical bipartisan position. In 2018, there was a Congress passed a bill called the Patient Support Act, 
which gave money for what's called recovery housing, which is housing that uh, is offered under the condition that people stay sober. Uh, usually they work while there. Usually they have a, a, a number of people in recovery together supporting each other uh, towards sobriety. Uh, this is really has great effects. There's a great nonprofit Oxford House that, that runs a lot of these across the country. Now, the problem with the current model, the housing first model and this permanent supportive housing uh, model that Los Angeles and San Francisco do is they have zero requirements whatsoever for the people let into the houses. You don't have to prove you're sober. You don't have to prove you want to get sober. You don't have to prove you want to work or even that you have a plan to get your life together. Uh, the federal government In Seattle, you don't even have yeah. to stop drinking. Uh, the drunk dorms, as they're called, for chronic alcoholics who are homeless, you're allowed to continue to booze. Absolutely. And in fact, the federal government yells at some of the nonprofits that they try to discourage people from from drinking or, or doing drugs in the program. And sometimes, as in Seattle or San Francisco, uh, the, the cities are not shy about actually providing cigarettes, alcohol and uh, in San Francisco's case, marijuana to uh, the people living in those units under the idea that uh, they need to have a harm reduction approach that uh, prevents them from going out in the street. But all of those things are, of course, devastating for someone in the grips of an addiction to provide them a free place without any demands and sobriety, to give them the things they need to get high or drunk. That's really going to do damage to anybody's chances of getting clean. And, you know, that's exactly why we should have more of these programs that say, of course, here's, you need help. We're going to, the, the government's going to help you, but you have to also do something towards your own betterment. You have to make sure that you're trying to get better too. Okay, what do you do about the the problem that there are lots and lots of people living in big encampments, living literally with their tents on the street, who prefer to be there? And you can offer them, say, well, you're going to have to come in and you're going to have to clean up and stop uh, uh, taking meth and stop boozing. Uh, and they say, no, I'll, I'll stay here on the street. What do you, what, how do you handle people like that who are by the tens of thousands? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it is simple, and, and to some people it sounds counterintuitive, uh, but to help these people, you actually have to enforce the laws against street sleeping and street camping and camping out in public parks and sidewalks. And that's simply because if you do have that option open for many addicts and uh, many people in a mental health crisis, yes, many of them will take it. Of course they don't want to, to get sober. Someone who's schizophrenic or someone who is addicted to heroin does not want to go into a shelter and uh, get clean or take the necessary medication. That's why you need to cut off that avenue for them. If you have that avenue open for them, they'll take it. And getting people into shelter, which doesn't mean usually arresting them, but merely means forbidding them to continue to camp in these, these public spaces, is going to be the best thing for the recovery. And the simple way I often tell people about that, Los Angeles used to enforce this for a while, for, from about 2006 to 2014. And these academic studies show these incredible declines in homeless deaths. But since they stopped enforcing it, stopped enforcing laws against camping and sleeping, you've had almost 2,000 deaths a year in Los Angeles. They're picking up five homeless people uh, in body bags off the streets every single day. Now, that's not compassionate. It's not compassionate to allow them to continue to camp out and open and do drugs or continue to decline if they have schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. Why did they uh, uh, discontinue the enforcement? It just became no longer ideologically acceptable for some reason. Uh, there was new uh, uh, mayor around 2014 in Los Angeles, and 
Uh, Mayor Karen Bass will most likely continue uh, that tradition, as Mayor Garcetti has. Uh, but uh, the idea that somehow it was cruel to enforce the laws against street camping or street sleeping and push people into shelters took over. And we've seen the unfortunate effects of that in increased deaths. And we can do better. Terrific piece, Housing First foments homelessness in California. Uh, Judge Glock, thank you for your work and thank you for the conversation. When we come back, a, a new housing program specifically for the transgendered community in San Francisco. Coming up. gender binary wearing flowers in your hair something you want to do if you're going to san francisco i guess the uh, latest bit of uh, profound enlightenment from the left coast and the beautiful city and and it is a beautiful city i mean underneath all of the homeless encampments and the suddenly shabby neighborhoods and the rest but uh san francisco officially launched last week a guaranteed income program for members of its transgender community. And the uh, program is called Guaranteed Income for Trans People, or GIFT. Guaranteed Income for Trans. Uh, so a GIFT will provide... 55 eligible residents with $1,200 per month for up to 18 months to help address financial insecurity. That's what the uh, mayor's office has to say. Uh, the people selected will also receive gender-affirming uh, medical and mental health care as well as financial coaching. The uh, the idea that there are people who have financial insecurity and could really use one thousand two hundred dollars per month, I okay I understand that, but why the special focus on trans people? Isn't this unfair to people who may be not trans but say gay or straight? Uh, I mean, would this not encourage people to identify as trans? because you're giving some kind of special financial award. Try to imagine what the response would be if they put together a special program of financial aid and uh, maybe mental health care and gender affirming, whatever you choose that to be, medical care. If they did all that and said, well, this is going to go to uh, a, a number of straight people who may be going on, on tough times. Can you imagine... If the categorization that the somebody's sexual identity were used as the basis for uh, a government gift, and it's even called gift, I mean, this is outrageous, is it not? 1-800-955-1776. And we're talking about California and, and the idea of rewarding homelessness. And uh, th that's the difficulty with this whole housing first idea. 
And uh, the point that uh, Judge Glock was making is a profoundly important point, is that uh, all of a sudden, uh, when you start uh, providing more, and you build enough houses, as they did in San Francisco at one point, to accommodate all the people who are currently living on the street, that, that works fine, except you have another ocean of people who come in, who now are living on the street because they know they're going to get rewarded ultimately. And uh, here is the mayor-elect Karen Bass. She had a tough race. It, it turns out she won clearly. No one's contesting the election, and that's a good thing in this country. But uh, here is Karen Bass on CBS about why people are <clears throat> unhoused in Los Angeles. Listen. Los Angeles has become unaffordable. You have to have a comprehensive approach. There's no magic bullet. So first and foremost, you have to prevent people from falling into homelessness, and clearly affordability is key to that. But you know, people are on the streets for a variety of issues, and you have to address why they're there. Is it substance abuse? Is it mental illness? Is it just straight up affordability? We have people who are intense who actually work full time. We have thousands of children who are intense, some with mothers who fled domestic violence, some who are teenagers who aged out of foster care, some people who were formerly incarcerated uh, because they are not able to find housing are intense. Mm -hmm. So we have to have a comprehensive approach and address the reasons why people were unhoused. But first and foremost, we have to get people off the streets. People are literally dying on the streets in Los Angeles, and this has got to stop. Okay, again, according to figures that were provided by Judge Glock, um, people in, nationwide are dying at, at least two a day. Uh, just homeless people living on the streets. It is completely unacceptable. And if you want to talk about with a new Republican House of Representatives coming in, something bipartisan that can be done... Uh, and that should be a, a federal emphasis, if at all possible, though it's going to be down to the reliance on local and state authorities. But just the idea of breaking up the encampments and breaking up this pernicious notion that you have a right to take over city parks that have been built with a great love and great investment for all the people not just the people who uh, are unhoused. Uh, speaking of people who are unhoused, I was talking about David DePap, who uh, got a little bit of notoriety uh, for at breaking into the Pelosi residence in San Francisco and attacking Paul Pelosi. And what I think is worth taking a look at is, according to his blog posts, and this is reported in the New York Times, the uh, online harassment campaign known as Gamergate, which began in 2014 as a backlash against female critics of the gaming industry and included misogynistic attacks and death threats, became a catalyst of his growing interest in right-wing conspiracy theories and the many rants against women that he posted on his blog. How did I get into all this? He wrote in one passage, Gamergate. It was Gamergate. It was all Gamergate. He described Gamergate as a consumer-led revolt against communism. 
and railed against wokeism and feminism, complaints that appear to be precursors to his later embrace of the most virulent and bigoted of online conspiracy theories. Uh, it all came in an era in which such theories have spread among wider groups of Americans and have been promoted by far-right leaders. Mr. DePape, who is 42, uh, sits in a San Francisco jail cell, accused of busting into the Pelosi residence on the early hours of October 28th and bludgeoning the Speaker's 82-year-old husband, Paul Pelosi, with a hammer. The attack last month left Mr. Pelosi unconscious and lying in a pool of his own blood, but the real target, prosecutors say, was Ms. Pelosi, who was in Washington at the time. Prosecutors who have been scouring Mr. DePape's copious online writings say the attack was politically motivated and that Mr. DePape intended to hold Ms. Pelosi, who was second in line of succession of the presidency, as a hostage and interrogator. On Thursday, she announced she will step down from her leadership role in January. She's continuing in Congress, though. The attack less than two weeks before the midterm elections reverberated across the nation's political landscape. Could it uh, have made some difference in close elections? Who knows? Uh, DePape faces a multitude of state and federal felony charges, but already the apparent role of Gamergate in his radicalization stands out. In recent years, it has not been uncommon for Gamergate to become a gateway for disaffected men to discover conspiracy theories like Pizzagate and, of course, QAnon. Uh, two subjects Mr. DePape wrote about extensively and to become wrapped up in right-wing uh, Trumpian politics. Is it fair to associate Donald Trump with things like QAnon? Well, I mean, given the fact that QAnon basically portrays him as someone of messianic power who's going to come in and uh, conduct the storm and get rid of all these blood-drinking, Satan-worshipping pedophiles who run the world. Uh, the fact that President Trump hasn't been able to create some more distance between himself and some of these very extreme right-wing operatives, I think it's going to cost him in the election coming up. And right now, there's new news, which we will be talking about, uh, concerning where Trump stands in that election. There's an amazing headline that appeared in National Review, leading conservative journal. And uh, the headline is, DeSantis takes massive lead over Trump in 2024 Florida GOP primary poll. And it turns out it's not just Florida. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis leads former President Trump by 45 percentage points in a new poll of Florida Republican primary voters. Plus, there are about a dozen other states where it shows DeSantis ahead of Trump. What does that mean? Uh, what does the election mean for this next election, which already seems to have begun? In fact, there's already an ad from uh, Ron to the Rescue about DeSantis in this greatest nation.